Welcome to GovInnovator. I'm Andy Feldman. Our topic today is how to raise job quality and skills for American workers through more effective education and workforce development within states. Our guest is Harry Holzer from Georgetown University. Here's a clip. Over half the states are starting to do performance-based funding for higher ed. But I want the performance measures to focus not just on completion rates and credits attained, because it's very easy to game those measures. I want to see it actually based also on earnings and labor market outcomes, which I think would make it a more honest system. And it would reward the institutions for focusing more on the job market and not just trying to give people AA degrees in liberal studies, which don't have a lot of worth. Harry Holzer is a leading thinker on workforce issues. He's a former chief economist at the U.S. Department of Labor and is today a professor at the McCourt School of Public Policy at Georgetown. He's noted that there's a significant misalignment between the skills of Americans without high school degrees and the workforce needs of well-paying industries that don't necessarily require a college degree. To get his input on how to address that important policy challenge, I'm very happy to have Harry Holzer back with us on the podcast. Harry, welcome. Thank you. It's good to be back. So start us off by telling us about your vision for what you think we should be aiming for as a nation in terms of the American workforce. In other words, what should public policy be trying to achieve? There's, there's a macro vision and there's also a micro vision, I think. The macro vision is how do we create an American economy that has higher productivity growth and where that productivity is broadly shared? It's, it's, it's an inclusive prosperity agenda. Uh, right now, we're very far away from that. Uh, we have lousy productivity growth at the macro level, lousy economic growth, uh, and huge gaps between the earnings of, of high-skill and low-skill people. Uh, so broadly, I'm looking for a set of policies that changes that. The more micro issue is what's driving those outcomes. And I, and I see problems on what I call the supply side and the demand side of the labor market. The supply side is the workers, the demand side is the employers. On the worker side, we still have a situation where we're sending many millions of workers to community college uh, and, and to four-year, but especially community colleges, including both young people coming out of high school, but also adults returning. The vast majority of them don't finish anything. The dropout rates are enormous. There's a lot of different reasons for that. But in too many cases, even when they finish something, uh, it's a generic degree in liberal studies that the labor market doesn't value. So we got to change that on the worker side. And some of that involves changing the institutions. On the demand side of the labor market, I just think too many employers right now are making a lot of money by taking what we call the low road. It's well known to labor economists that employers have a fair amount of choice in the long run over time about how they want to compete. Do they want to compete taking the low road, which is just minimizing costs, especially labor costs, and doing whatever you can to minimize those costs? outsourcing as much work as you can, offshoring as much work as you can, turning all of your workers into independent contractors and investing very little in them, as opposed to a higher road where you invest in the skills of your workers and you're trying to make money and make profits by being a high productivity, high quality in terms of output employer rather than the lowest cost. We think too many employers right now are taking the low cost route which is not good for American productivity. It's not good for the American economy and for broadly shared prosperity. I want to see employers make money, have good profits, but do it through a higher road strategy where many more workers share in the benefits of that prosperity. 
You just noted, Harry, that we've got a long way to go towards achieving that vision of higher productivity workforce, more high road employers, as you call them. In other words, better pay opportunities, more promotion possibilities. Researchers have cited firms like Costco and UPS and Southwest Airlines as being high road employers. But where are we, do you think, as a nation in terms of a consensus around that vision? So so I think in the last few years, we've made some definite progress in moving down this road. So, so first of all, there, there is, there's a general uh, consensus that this is a good thing to do, to create these sector partnerships, to create career pathways within those partnerships, to engage employers, and to try to tailor our skill building more for the needs of those employers. Uh, we have evaluation evidence that suggests that works. The Obama White House has embraced that strategy. Uh, the new WEOA legislation has embraced that strategy. That That's all good. Uh, but we, we we need to move further down that road. Uh, first of all, we need to replicate and scale the best approaches. Uh, we want to make sure that disadvantaged students and workers benefit as much as possible from these approaches. The hardest to employ people are not going to benefit from this, right? If you're reading at the sixth grade level, or, or you have real trouble maintaining attachment to the job market, you're not going to be a good candidate for an investment by the firm uh, in sector training. But we want disadvantaged people involved. We want to make sure that employers are really engaged in this. Uh, We want to make sure that the training is portable over the long term. We don't want the effects of the training to disappear if someone changes jobs or changes sectors. And we want a a system that's nimble enough uh, in a dynamic economy to be able to shift gears. So so that's all a tall order uh, about how to do that. But But I do think I have some next steps involved, what this would take. One of your policy suggestions, I know, is providing more resources to community colleges, but also creating incentives and accountability by basing state subsidies on student completion rates and not just student completion rates, but also earnings of graduates. In other words, labor market outcomes. Tell us more about your ideas. So so first of all, I would like to see something like a race to the top for higher education. Uh, We had a race to the top program in the K through 12 years. The, the notion is it's a combination of uh, targeting more resources for the states. And, and the states, by the way, are spending less and less money on higher ed because they're swamped by their Medicaid costs and their, and their incarceration costs and other things. This is injecting more resources into the states. But in return, uh, the states have to make some commitments. Number one, they have to embrace more accountability when they allocate their subsidies to higher ed. The states are actually moving in that direction. Uh, over half the states are starting to do performance-based funding for higher ed. But I want the performance measures to focus not just on completion rates and credits attained, because it's very easy to game those measures. I want to see it actually based also on earnings and labor market outcomes, which I think would make it a more honest system. And it would reward the institutions for focusing more on the job market and not just trying to give people AA degrees in liberal studies, which don't have a lot of worth. I just wanted to underscore that point you just made, Harry, that if state subsidies of community colleges, if they don't focus on labor market outcomes of graduates, then you may be creating incentives for gaming potentially or unintended consequences. That's correct. I, I, I think we all know that if you don't really think through your performance measures, you can have a lot of unanticipated bad outcomes. And, and here, of course, we can, you know, there's two possible bad outcomes. Number one, 
on the front end, the admissions process, they could cream like crazy and, and, and drop all their kind of higher risk candidates. Or on the other end, they could just make it a lot easier for people to graduate and to, to attain credits lower in the past quarter, lower the bar on that end. We want to avoid both of those. Uh, and I think one of the ways to do it is to have earnings outcomes get a lot of weight in this process, and especially earnings outcomes among disadvantaged students, minority students, the people that right now are having a real hard time. So I think that would incentivize the states not to just cut corners and lower the bar or raise the bar, to do it correctly and to really expand teaching capacity in the high demand areas of the labor market and provide the support services that students need, that low-income students need, whether it's childcare, whether it's career counseling, whether it's a much more effective kind of remediation than what they do right now. I, I think this would incentivize the institutions to do more of that. And am I right, Harry, that this would also create an important opportunity for evaluation and learning in terms of workforce policy? For example, if you incentivize states to improve earnings of uh, community college graduates, you might have many different states using different approaches. We could then learn what works among those approaches. That's right. My idea is really a combination of extra resources to the community colleges in exchange for more accountability uh, imposed on the institutions, that the state would impose on the institutions. If we do that, we really need a lot of evaluation to go on of what the different states try to do, what worked, what didn't work, who benefited, et cetera. So the evaluation piece of this uh, would be very, very important to really find out what works and what doesn't. It's an important distinction between a policy solution and a policy that creates the right incentives and then allows the system to learn what works over time. That's correct. And we want it to be, we want it to be an ongoing learning process. We, 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 we know right now that we really don't know in this area, exactly what works, how do institutions do this? Again, we, we know that they're creating a lot of these partnerships, but it seems like the partnerships have small scale. We don't know if, if the partnerships are really adding to what the higher ed sector is producing and, and whether or not it's really at a scale that it's really affecting the, the outcomes we care about. So it will involve a lot more learning, ongoing learning. And, and that's why the evaluation component of this is so important. So we learn five, 10 years from now, well, what really works in this regard and what ought states to be doing and what should the federal government be rewarding them for doing? So Harry, in your vision for change here, I think there's a role for the federal government. There's a role for states, community colleges, employers. Give us a few more details about who needs to do what. I think so you start with the federal government assisting and incentivizing the states to change their policies. But within those states, you're going to need the community colleges to be more responsive and you're going to need the employer engagement. I still think there's a, a problem on the employer end. I mean, we have a set of employers in a set of industries who I think understand the importance of a skilled workforce and, and recognize they're having trouble generating it. You know, the industries are healthcare, advanced manufacturing, IT, uh, transportation and logistics, uh, and, and the occupations are often the technical occupations in those areas. I still think a lot of employers in many other sectors are just trying to bypass all of this and aim for the low road, just minimize their labor costs. So I think we need a set of incentives aimed at the employers so that they have more incentive to buy in and to engage in these partnerships. Um, I think the only way to do that is, frankly, for, for both federal and state governments to commit to creating good-paying jobs and to rewarding and incentivizing and assisting employers 
for taking that high road and, and, and make it clear, we're going we're gonna to reward the employers to do this. We're going to assist them. They're going to get financial incentives. Now, frankly, in this era, we know even less about what works. But again, it's, it's a nice area for government to make that commitment, to experiment with many different approaches. You know, and right now, it's, it's interesting because I think a lot of governors and a lot of mayors already want to do this. They say they're doing it, but what they do is they, they engage in these economic development schemes where they're trying to outbid each other to attract big companies. That, that's, that's what the game of economic development is. It's not a value-added strategy. You know, the kind of game that's being placed has to have a zero-sum outcome, right? Oh, let's see, if, if, if we're Michigan, we're going to try to bid away companies from Pennsylvania and Ohio. What I want is systemically for the federal government to help states build systems where, where they build that higher capacity and they help employers, they give employers a stronger incentive and resources to actively engage in these partnerships, to create more of these apprenticeships uh, because they have the goal of, of, of hiring better skilled workers and improving performance uh, at that level. So again, I, the goal I think is clear, how we get there is not, but that means it's, it's a great place to try another set of incentives and evaluate like crazy over the next several years to try to see what really works. And then the interesting thing to see would see would be to, you know, do any of these employer incentives complement the building of these sector partnerships uh, with the institutions? Does it give the employers more incentive to engage with those institutions to build this kind of system that we've already talked about? So Harry, let's say you're advising an elected leader within a state, um, a governor or a mayor, et cetera, who says, I share your vision, I want more high road employment for the workers in my jurisdiction. What are some concrete steps that they could take? At the end of the day, it's, it's states uh, and, and even localities or regions reaching out to their main employers and incentivizing them and assisting them to try to build more high road jobs, uh, not just to make their high profits by the low road and minimizing costs, but to try to make high profits by improving productivity, improving quality and performance outcomes. And, and the way to do that is to have a commitment to having more skilled workers, promotion ladders within the firm, more apprenticeships, other models of work-based learning, also for the employers to engage in career and technical education, even with the high schools, to try to build these varied pathways and how they use their economic development dollars. That's right. Right. We know states are already interested. We know every state in the country has an economic development strategy. My guess is that they're not using these in an effective manner. They're just, you know, Peter's trying to rob Paul to pay for and uh, to, to bid away high-wage firms and growing firms and, and instead of having a strategy where the firms that are there build more effective uh, education and workplace systems together. And that's what I'd like to, the federal government to help the states try to do more of that. States would have to help their cities and regions also do that. Um, a lot of regions are looking for new approaches to economic development. And this would be trying to feed their, their need for that and their interest in that. Harry Holzer from Georgetown University. Harry, thanks again for being with us. Thank you. It's, uh, it's been fun.